The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So good evening and welcome to our first Monday live broadcast of the Monday night talk. And um, and as I think everyone knows, we're doing this because um, the San Mateo County that we're in, the health department has asked that non-essential gatherings be canceled. And so, um, uh, but we still would like to support the people who come, who have been coming regularly for Monday night and also people from far away who never have a chance to see or um, have a live broadcast of talks here at IMC. And so um, here we are. And before I give the regular talk, I want to say a few words about um, that this uh, era that we're in right now of the precautions in place because of the COVID-19 virus. Uh, I'm actually, I mean, I don't want the virus and I certainly don't want anybody to be sick. That's one of the reasons we're not meeting and all of us here is not to, to somehow participate in the slowing down or stopping of the transmission of the illness. But the, um, but I'm actually kind of excited or enthusiastic about the possibilities now of how we can develop our online offerings. For many years we've had Audio Dharma and it's been clear that many people appreciate it and benefit from it immensely. And um, I thought it would be nice to be able to offer more varied kind of programs and certainly to be able to offer live broadcasts of our programs and people can feel maybe a stronger connection to uh, the IMC community and to what happens here when it's live. And uh, also, um, but is this opportunity, we have an opportunity now to develop other things. Um, uh, maybe some interactive uh, programs online that where it could be some give and takes. We can receive questions or... I have some kind of even, some of us are talking about doing Zoom sessions with people. So there's much more interactive uh, presence. So uh, stay tuned. Uh, the IMC website will have uh, updates as we develop these things and offer different things. And uh, probably those updates will happen every day or two for the next little while. And uh, the one thing I want to mention now is the plan uh, for next week is to try the experiment of having a, a morning sitting here at seven o'clock in the morning, California time. And that we would uh, <clears throat> sit for a period of time, maybe 30 minutes or so. And maybe uh, I will give a 20 minute short talk and do those five days for the five days of the week. And maybe that's supportive of you and interesting and, um, and you know, interesting to uh, kind of meditate together with others in uh, this kind of online way. So, um, as it uh, is that uh, this particular Monday evening, I'm uh, as part of a series of talks that I've been giving called Introduction to Buddhism. And uh, last week I I gave a talk about uh, ethics and the importance of ethics and the centrality in which ethics has in Buddhism and early Buddhism that ethics and enlightenment are coterminous, they're inseparable, they're almost the same thing. That the path towards becoming ethically mature 
is the same path as the path of becoming uh, spiritually mature, becoming enlightened. And, and the experience or the possibility of awakening in Buddhism uh, comes together with becoming an ethical person. So the talk about ethics was um, the beginning of a three-part series, a sub-series in this longer series, having to do with the three trainings. Classically, the different, uh, all the different trainings and practices that exist in Buddhism are categorized into three different categories. And those are ethics, meditation, and wisdom. Uh, sila, samadhi, and panya. So last week was ethics, sila, and this week it's meditation or samadhi. And, um, and so these are trainings. Uh, and what's interesting about the word trainings is it means that we can train ourselves, we can develop ourselves, we can cultivate ourselves, that uh, we don't just settle for how we are and just uh, get out of bed one day and say, well, now I'm ready for spiritual maturation, now, I'm, now I'll be awakened and I'll go, go about my life. But rather we put in place the conditions that allows for maturation. We put in place the conditions that allows the mind, the heart to develop and grow in a way that um, uh, is part of the spiritual path in Buddhism. As, par- as part of the path, as one that grows and develops so that we develop in ways where we become freer. We develop ways that we are more compassionate and loving. We develop and cultivate ways in which we are uh, more peaceful and more at ease and more happier in our life. And that cultivation uh, begins with that, the training in ethics where uh, we live a good life. We live a life that's blameless. We live a life that has a lot to do with uh, uh, avoiding causing harm. And when we don't cause harm in the world or harm to others, it's a lot easier to feel at peace with oneself. It's a lot easier to sit down to meditate and not be agitated. And so this kind of the, the restraint that ethics has a lot to do with, the restraining for an unethical or harmful or unskillful behavior, kind of is a part of the clearing the way, clearing the heart, clearing the mind, to, of all the kind of extra unskillful stuff that can circle in there, clear it away so that uh, that doesn't get in the way of the deeper settling, the deeper and the deeper growth of the heart and the mind. And that meditation uh, involves both the development the cultivate, cultivation of certain qualities, but it also has a lot to do with letting go. And sometimes it's said that meditation has these two component parts. There's the letting go part, and there's the cultivation part. So we let go of the forces of the mind that keep us from being present. We somehow let go or let subside the forces of the mind, the agitation of mind, that keep us uh, agitated, keep us uh, um, uh, uh, incapable of really seeing clearly what is going on here. And a lot of that has to do with thinking that an excess of thinking makes it very hard to have a stable, clear attention to what's happening in the present moment. It's also, if we are somewhat in the present moment and there's a lot of thinking, it tends to be uh, the thinking obscures our vision, obscures it with stories, with commentary, with judgments. 
that we might have, with bias we might have. And so one of the tasks of meditation, in all for, I think just about all forms of Buddhist meditation, is to allow or support the mind and heart to become quieter. Quieter in terms of thinking and thoughts. So that has to do with letting go or the quieting of the mind. And then there's what we cultivate. Uh, and so it's like we have the, all these little muscles in the mind or in the heart. And those muscles we want to strengthen. So we have the muscles for concentration, the ability to have a steady, focused attention in the present moment. We uh, cultivate the muscle for mindfulness, the capacity to have a clear awareness of what's happening in the present moment and a clear recognition of what's happening. Uh, Mindfulness and clear comprehension. We cultivate our abilities to be patient, cultivate our abilities to be wise, to be able to be discerning of what's happening as we meditate, to know what to let go of and know what not to let go of. We uh, cultivate our capacity for kindness, for goodwill for ourselves and for others. We allow the growth of care, the beautiful quality of the human heart, the caring, compassionate care for oneself and for others. One cultivates and develops uh, one's sense of motivation or sense of purpose. Then one can have a very strong, enthusiastic or dedicated purpose for one's life that really becomes a support or ballast uh, that really keeps us kind of on track, keeps us going, that gives meaning to life and purpose. So we're less likely to wander off into distractions of life and idle activities, which is not really useful for people or for even for ourselves. But uh, we stay on track doing the things that are important and valuable. For example, uh, cultivating the mind, cultivating the heart. So um, these two sides of meditation, the letting go side and the cultivation side, come into our central in the Buddhist endeavor of meditation. And there are different kinds of meditation. There are many kinds of meditation. If someone says, you know, I meditate, uh, that gives as much um, information about what the person's doing as if someone were to say, I'm doing sports. So there's many kinds of sports. There's many kinds of meditation. And so uh, you, we can ask, you know, well, what kind of meditation do you do? And in Buddhism, and, and even more so outside of Buddhism, there are many, many kinds of meditation. The tendency in Buddhism is to divide meditation into two groups. Those meditations that have more to do with uh, attention or mindfulness and those that have to do with concentration. And there's a whole bunch of concentration practices with particular concentration focuses. Um, and there's different kind of practices for mindfulness. Uh, the, uh, um, there are different teachers who teach mindfulness, teach vipassana in different ways. And uh, all for the same purpose, purpose of awakening. But they have very radically different techniques of how they, how they do it. But both these practices have in common is uh, the concentration practices and the mindfulness practices, is they are developing the human capacity for attention. The human capacity to uh, be aware of what's happening in the present moment. As far as I can tell, all Buddhist meditation practices are based on the capacity to be here and in the present moment. 
And whether we're doing concentration practice or mindfulness practice, um, the, one of the first tasks for many people is to support the mind, help the mind to arrive in the present moment, to no longer be thinking about past and future, no longer be thinking about things happening far away, uh, but to be here. And uh, one kind of, um, um, I hope, kind of evocative way or suggestive way I have to teach to support people to be here is to say that the body, the physical human body that we have, that you have, uh, is clearly always in the present moment. It's here and now. Wherever you, wherever you go, you take it with you, your body, and there it is. It's with you all the time. It's here and now. It's always in the present. It's the mind which sometimes is not, or maybe often is not in the present moment. It's the mind that wanders off in thought and thinking about the future, planning, remembering the past, maybe with regrets or delight, or if wandering off in fantasy. They have nothing to do with anything but the fantasy itself. And, um, and so the mind is not here and now. So the task of meditation is to help the mind be in, in harmony with the body, to be uni- unified with the body in being in the present moment here and now. To be here, present. In the ancient teachings of the Buddha, he put a tremendous importance on mindfulness of the body. To really be here, be aware through the body, to have somehow the experience of awareness really suffusing and spreading throughout the body, centered on the body. There's often a tendency for people to think of meditation as a, only a mental act or a cognitive act. And people who are already maybe very much in their thinking and in their head will sometimes try to meditate that way, using their head and their thoughts and using the control tower in the head with which to kind of, that's the locus of the self, of who I am, who, how I have agency for my life. And I'm just going to sit there in the control tower and try to direct the show and, and uh, make something happen. And uh, that's using only a very small, narrow part of who we are that is valuable for sure in some ways but it's like kind of saying that the tip of the iceberg is the most important part of the iceberg. The iceberg, you know, is, is underwater is a huge part of it. Or you know, saying that if there's um, a top of the mountain clears above the clouds, that that's what's important and focus only on that little tip of the mountain. Not realizing that the mountain has a huge solid base and substantial place that you know, makes up the mountain and holds everything up. And so in the same way, uh, in meditation, one of the ways to help us really be here and now is to almost like treat the body as a mountain. I think early in my meditation practice, it was pretty common for teachers to uh, bring up the image of sitting like a mountain when we meditate. It works a little bit easier, more obviously, I think, in the cross-legged position, we're kind of sitting as a triangle a little bit and, you know, sitting a little bit in that pyramid shape. But the idea of sitting such a way and really feeling the solidity of the body, the weight of the body, feeling the way gravity pulls the body and connects us to uh, where we're sitting, and to kind of begin feeling the substantiality of the body, the, the three-dimensionality of the body, the, the richness of sensations in the body. 
And to do that, when you're doing that, we're bringing the, the mind into the world of the present moment through the body. Every time we bring our attention back to breathing, it's bringing attention back into the here and now, to this experience. And while saying being here and now might be a nice expression, rather than there and then, um, uh, I really like, for me, it's been very meaningful, the idea that we're bringing the mind and body into unity, unifying them, so they're in the same place at the same time. And in, in doing so, they begin to work together, and they get to work in harmony. And a huge part of Buddhist meditation is this unification process, this kind of combining the body and mind together so that they are kind of a unit in a sense or a kind of a united ecology that's of the human being that is kind of operating harmoniously rather than <clears throat> operating uh, in a fractured way, dispersed way, rather than kind of being scattered in all kinds of different ways and concerns. But everything begins to settle and settle and get unified. You know, if uh, we sit down to meditate <clears throat> and um, we've had a busy day and we feel stressed and, and then we think that we, you know, I want to focus on my breathing when I meditate, but we're hungry and we start thinking about dinner. But then emotionally, we had an argument with someone at work today. And so we also kind of, feelings of anger and anxiety are swirling around about this conversation we had. And so part of us is tense, physically tense. Emotionally, we have these emotions swirling around that we keep getting pulled into. <clears throat> uh, the sense of purpose we're trying to live with is that of being present with our breathing. But the mind is much more interested in the menu for dinner. What am I going to make for dinner today? And this is just a small subset of all the different ways the mind, mind body, emotions, intentions can be scattered and then cross, cross purposes with each other as we sit down to meditate. The busier and more, more frenzied we are in our daily life, the more we tend to be scattered and divided from ourselves and all these different parts are kind of going this way and that way. Meditation is that process of bringing all the scattered parts of ourselves together. And whether it's mindfulness meditation or concentration meditation, both meditation has a strong tendency of the this collecting process of arriving and being here. And for me, when I first started meditating, uh, the, uh, that experience of unification, that experience uh, of becoming whole in some way, was uh, really what kept me meditating and actually pulled me into the world of Buddhist practice and going deeper and deeper into the world of practice. Because um, it was one of the most satisfying experiences I had in my life. It was an experience back then, I called it this experience of integrity. Nowadays, nowadays I might call it an experience of unification. And, um, and I felt peaceful, I felt whole, I felt like I was really, almost like, now I was really myself. Like I had, now I really settled, now I was really, could be who I was, or allowed myself to be there. Because I wasn't scattered or divided with anything. And that experience was so satisfying for me and so meaningful for me that uh, it wasn't so much I wanted to meditate more, but the, my involvement with Buddhist practice and going living in Buddhist centers was in the quest of discovering how can I live that way in the rest of my life? How can I have that same sense of wholeness, of integrity, of unification, of well-being and peace 
uh, everywhere I went. Because I noticed very quickly that I could have it in meditation, but I'd lose it when I went to school and was with people and activities. And so that has been now, you know, a decades-long process and probably always continue because life is always changing and new challenges. But to discover, to come back and settle. And meditation, for me, is one of the primary places to do this. And from the foundation of meditation, then a feeling of calm, a feeling of unification, a feeling of of being myself, of being peaceful, at ease, um, uh, is close at hand as I go about into my life. And then it becomes close at hand, it becomes a reference point. And I notice when I lose that, then I come back to it, and how I lose it, and how I come back to it. And it's like meditation, and how I feel from meditation becomes a teacher for myself. Also, as I meditate, the clearer the mind is, the more focused the mind can be, and the better, the stronger the mindfulness, then the, the reference point of how I feel in meditation um, becomes a more and more useful reference point in daily life. I, be, I become clear. I can recognize what's happening faster. I can recognize more deeply what's going on. I can start recognizing the deeper operating systems that are going on in my mind and heart. Some of the underlying beliefs and assumptions and attachments and biases that are going. That I really would not have a chance to uh, notice if I was not settled and focused and unified. If I'm scattered and anxious and mind is agitated, there's all kinds of uh, subconscious activity which is motivating what I say and what I do and, and how I feel. Um, I think there's not a few people who can feel a lot of suffering in their life but have no clue why they're suffering. They don't quite understand. They can't get their, their handle, they can't get a handle on it. They can't quite see the entryway into it or it's just this mass of feeling upset or depressed or sad or just off in some way. Because it's kind of subconscious what's going on deeper down. It isn't so much that we're going into the unconscious in meditation, but it is that we're kind of clearing the debris, clearing the scatteredness, so we can start seeing more deeply what's going on under all the thinking that we do and the scatteredness that we have. And we bring that kind of settled, focused uh, attention into our daily life. Daily life becomes much richer and more interesting. And it becomes comes more clearly where we find the path to practice, the path towards liberation in daily life as well as in meditation. So meditation is uh, central to Buddhism, uh, early Buddhism, and represented a little bit by the idea that, by the very common uh, statue of the Buddha sitting in meditation, meditating, uh, meditating. And... um, Meditation can be seen as the wellspring in which uh, the wisdom of Buddhism will come to you. It's, uh, you know, if someone asks me, you know, what books on Buddhism should I read? Um, I don't say this too often because maybe they wouldn't understand or it seems a little bit strange. But uh, my favorite uh, response to that is that you should read the book in their hearts, book inside. That uh, that's where we learn. All of Buddhism is available to us in our own experience if we pay attention to it. And the laboratory, the classroom, the, the, the gymnasium, the field work for all of what we need to learn in Buddhism is mediated through being present in our own experience, being present in our body, being present from the inside out for our lives.
So um, there are many kinds of Buddhist meditation. And as I said, there are these two categories. There's mindfulness and concentration. And, um, and here at IMC, we focus on mindfulness. Uh, at least the rhetoric is that's what we mostly do, what we're about. And um, mindfulness that leads to insight. And insight is, uh, is the ability to see deeply into our experience into ways that are liberating. So not necessarily looking deep into our history of who we are and biographically what makes us tick. Those are important insights. But insights with capital I have to do with insights which are universal, that are true for everyone, that what we have in common. And these are deep insights, deep understandings that, um, that um, are liberating. So, the, so I like the expression liberating insights we're coming to. And um, so uh, we're we're the Inside Meditation Center, or a Inside Meditation Center, and um, that we practice mindfulness and we teach classes, introduction to mindfulness meditation. However, and the way I I like to teach meditation, concentration is uh, the uh, intimate partner for mindfulness. And so they work together in, jun- in conjunction. That uh, it's not just mindfulness we're doing, but we're also uh, uh, cultivating concentration. There are forms of meditation that where mostly what we're doing is focusing on developing concentration. Um, but I like to think that it's kind of like 50-50 that we're doing uh, a mindfulness practice together with the idea of becoming centered and steady and focused in the present moment. Um, or to be able to have a continuous attention in the present moment, not just momentarily connect and know what's happening and then redo it again. But as we develop concentration, our ability to be in the present moment becomes uh, easy. It's kind of like we're in the groove, we're sliding, we're surfing on the wave. And the way we've caught the wave and we're surfing on it, surfing on the present moment, and then it might be a really long wave after a while. You can stay on that wave for an hour if the concentration gets strong. And, um, and so this idea of continuity of awareness is what concentration brings. <clears throat> so here at IMC, uh, the way I like to teach at least, is uh, for, the, for, for the people for whom it works is to encourage mindfulness of breathing. Uh, the advantage of that is breathing has both a um, uh, both develops mindfulness and develops concentration. The simplicity and the rhythm of breathing, coming and going, um, makes a wonderful basis upon which the mind can rest and to stay. It's relatively uncomplicated in the sense that you don't have to figure out where you're going to go to next and what exactly to focus on. Uh, the fault is if you come back to your breathing, come back to your breathing. As we're staying with the breathing, the mindfulness comes alive as we start feeling and sensing and seeing the experience of breathing, how the body experiences in richer and deeper and fuller ways. For the uninitiated, it might seem very boring to spend a lot of time focused on breathing. But the breathing is infinitely fascinating. Not just because of the breathing itself, but rather there's a starts to be, as we kind of get into it, a wonderful interactive um, relationship between our ability to focus on the breathing, the experience of having a relaxed, easeful breath, and the states of our mind and heart. 
And that interactive movement where there's a feeling, a sense of who we are in our body, the experience and the ease or the openness or the clarity of the mind starts changing and moving, becomes a dynamic ecology of our whole life that's kind of centered on breathing. And as we get more concentrated in the breathing, more mindful of the breathing, that whole psychophysical or spiritual ecology um, begins to shift and change and open and, and deepen and all kinds of things happen. And, uh, and that process is fascinating. It's deepening, it's, uh, it's uh, liberating, it's all kinds of things. So, uh, <clears throat> but here at IMC, we don't do only the breathing. Many of you maybe have heard the instructions before. We're ready to let go of the breathing at a moment's notice if something else is more compelling. And then we're developing the combination of mindfulness and concentration and that's something else, that there's loud sounds outside. And it might actually then be more of a mindfulness exercise, just recognizing and being with and the experience in a simple way. But if we rest the attention on the sound, if it's continuous, then we're also developing concentration. If nothing else, the concentration that's able to stay in the present moment. Maybe it's not a one-point focus on a single thing, but it is a, con- it is a continuous focus on uh, just what's unfolding in the present moment. And in the deeper, uh, in all forms of bu- uh, early Buddhist meditation, sooner or later, the, the all, all forms of meditation will kind of converge uh, on, the, on the way to having liberating insight or on the way to freedom or enlightenment will generally, not all, but most of them will converge, whether it's concentration practice or mindfulness practices, on uh, uh, becoming acutely aware of the transient nature of our experience, the inconstant appearing and disappearings, the comings and goings that are going on all the time. And rather than focusing on our thoughts, ideas of things, it's really beginning to kind of be in the flow of the river of, of our experience, the flow, the current of the river of life as it moves through us, and really feeling that movement of things arising and passing, coming and going. And uh, they say in Buddhism that that's a kind of turning point for meditation, when we can feel at rest, at ease, peaceful, content, just allow things to be, and uh, not try to push the river or block the river, but to really kind of sit and allow the whole stream of phenomena to appear and disappear and move through us. Buddhist meditation that we do has a lot to do with the attitudes that we bring with us to meditation. And uh, for many people, an integral part of meditation practice is not the technique of what we do in meditation, but rather is the attitude we have as we do the meditation. If we sit down to meditate with an attitude of um, being greedy, greedy for joy or rapture or good experience or greedy for concentration, or if we sit down to meditate with an attitude of arrogance, like I can do this and get out of my way and I'm going to really kind of blast my way to enlightenment. Or if we come to meditation with some attitude of, um, of uh, you know, I'm going to really now become, you know, the star of my of my neighborhood if I become, you know, all blissed out and concentrated and spiritual. And so we're really meditating in order to kind of enhance our 
prestige, these are all attitudes which interfere with actually the process of meditation. If we, uh, the primary motivation or attitude we have is one of aversion, that we don't like something, we're trying to get rid of it, that's a way of kind of uh, clogging the gears of meditation, kind of interfering with it, blocking the river that's flowing. And so part of meditation is to see if we can kind of rectify or establish a healthy attitude, a healthy orientation about how we sit and meditate. And a little bit in a kind of a provocative way, I don't know if it's as true as the statement I'm going to make, sounds it might be, sounds, sounds as if it, I'm, and that is that um, uh, most difficulties that people have in meditation is an issue of attitude. That it has a lot to do, that problems in meditation have to do with having somehow an attitude that's not helpful. And so rather than trying harder to get concentrated, bearing down, rather than thinking there must be something really, some insight I'm supposed to have and really try to look deeper and deeper, what's really there, what's happening, that um, we can step back, say, with what attitude am I meditating? And is there an attitude I can have that is in harmony with a peaceful mind, that's in harmony with an enlightened mind? An enlightened mind is one is at peace. An enlightened mind is a mind that has no greed, is not conceited, that's not operating under uh, ill will or aversion, that has no doubt about what's going on. An enlightened mind is not striving, but also is not complacent, is not afraid. So what would be the attitude that we could find, the kind of orientation of the mind, that we could try to have or even if we pretend to have a little bit perhaps or a little bit kind of evoke, how would it be if the attitude is one of not striving, not pushing, not avoiding, not being for experience anything or not being against anything, not trying to attain something that's not already here, uh, not trying to prove oneself, not trying to hide from oneself in meditation, but rather an attitude of kind of just being completely open and available and trusting of the process. Trusting that whatever degree of mindfulness that you have, whatever degree of attention that you bring to uh, your practice, whatever degree of stability or concentration that you have, trusting that that has to be good enough for now. And just come with your sincerity that supports and and trusts that if you're doing your best, that your best is all you need. And that with with that, that kind of confidence that it's okay to let the mind have a relaxed, accepting or allowing attitude for what's happening here. And so that the attitude of meditation is you're creating kind of a field or kind of an atmosphere where the mind wants to be present, enjoys being present. If the mind is greedy, the mind is aversive, the mind is filled with doubt or fear, it's not very comfortable. And if it's not comfortable, do we want to be present for that? But can we somehow adjust, change our attitude so that it's um, more peaceful, allowing, 
at ease with what's going on. An attitude where it's not about me, myself, and mine, and what I have to do, what I have to attain, but one that is of profound trust. An enlightened mind, an enlightened person, has deep trust in the natural unfolding of life in the context of being clearly aware. Can we have an attitude of kind of assuming that that's okay, at least provisionally? An attitude of trusting the life that we have, the life that we're given, and life that life and our hearts and our minds, it knows how to self-heal. It knows how to find its way if we give it a chance. The Dharma can flow through us. And so what is the attitude that allows for that? What's the attitude of peace and allowing, as I keep saying? So Buddhist meditation. It's one of the three trainings. We train ourselves in meditation by doing it. Uh, As uh, sometimes I say, and maybe sometimes I irritate people, uh, when I say that meditation does not work if you don't do it. And so to, um, you know, we have to do it. And, um, and one of the first things, if you're new to meditation, to do is to remember to be patient. That that's one of the attitudes we want to establish, not to be in a hurry. And, um, and we're learning to be present for our experience. We're learning to be here and now, to harmonize and unify the body and the mind. And we're learning to recognize the attitudes we bring as we meditate, to seeing if we can adjust them a little bit. It doesn't have to be dramatic, but go from maybe being very afraid when we meditate to being a little bit less afraid, to have some striving and then maybe striving less, to have some hesitation or aversion to what's happening, to quieting that little bit, to, um, you know, don't try to do all or nothing, be very forgiving. You don't want to try to be perfect when you meditate. This is not a, meditation is not obligatory. There's no instruction manual for human beings that says that you have to or you should meditate. Hopefully it's something you do with your own free will. It's something that you feel find valuable and interesting and nice. And so you can come sit down without a sense of obligation, without trying to prove yourself without trying to run away from yourself. But to sit here, meditate to be open to your life as it is, to discover what your life is, who you are in a sense, from the inside out. And as you do that, at some point the meditation will stop being a practice that you do, but it's a way of being that meditation morphs into uh, a practice to how you are in the world, how you are. And and sitting down to meditate is not like sitting down to do a technique, but sitting down to meditate is just simply to uh, be in a valuable, meaningful way that is onward leading to greater and greater freedom. So that's... uh, my, you know, I, my presentation about meditation as part of introduction to Buddhism. And um, I don't know if all the ideas made sense to you, 
what I hope that this uh, talk did was to give you just enough inspiration to motivate you to either start meditation if you haven't, uh, or if you already do, maybe to do it either a little bit more or to do it with a little bit more dedication and sincerity, uh, a really kind of giving yourself over to it and allowing meditation to really have its time and to be wholehearted with it. And, and, um, and I hope that uh, as, as it's been for me, that those of you who meditate, that you'll find that it enriches life immensely. I can't imagine a life without my meditation. So thank you. And I'll continue this series next Monday.